are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Welcome to a Theology Thursday here on the Steve Day Show podcast edition. Here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you want to join us, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. I mentioned our show each day is powered by CRTV. We just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. Let's give the audience a preview of what's coming up today on CRTV. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, had Aaron been born in a different galaxy a long time ago, far, far away, he could have been one bad man when it came to producing, let's say, like a 1950 serial or something like that. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's good, that's good. Yeah, you definitely don't want to miss the opening the opening montage today. Aaron. You don't want to miss the closing montage either. There's a closing montage today. Oh, yes. Today is a very important day it's a montage. on the Steve Day Show calendar. Yeah, yes. it's a montage sandwich. Yeah, and when you see that one, you're not going to say, you know, in a galaxy a long time ago, far away, Steve could have been, you're not going to say that. No. no. Nor will you want to probably eat a sandwich after that one or anything else. <laughs> For that, for that matter, at least for a while, would be my guess. So if you want to watch today's show on CRTV, if you're not yet a CRTV subscriber, here's how you can change that. CRTV.com, use my name as a promo code, DACE, D-E-A-C-E, get a discounted subscription to CRTV. How discounted? How's a quarter a day sound? Just 25 cents a day to watch our show. The great one, Mark Levin, and the entire team here at CRTV. CRTV.com, promo code, DACE. All right, on with the Theology Thursday podcast. I announced this on Monday. We're going to do something we've never done before on the show. For Theology Thursday, we are going to do the greatest theological work of all time, the scriptures. We're going to do a Bible study. And the idea for this came from listening to uh, the sermon at church last Sunday, closing out our series on Romans, which just reminded me I forgot to post it. So I got to go home and post it today since I forgot. Several of you have asked me for it. And I just I kept telling you it's coming and it never came. My bad. I'll get it posted today. Okay. But... Um, at the end of the sermon, I just had an epiphany that, that we should do a Bible study. And I have picked a book that I have never preached through before when I've been on preaching teams before. I haven't studied this book in a few years. We're not using any commentaries. I even have um, my U version that has no Bible notes out at the bottom because we're going to do this old school. We're going to go through this verse by verse on our show and talk about what it means, what it says, plus what it says to us. Notice what I said there. I didn't say what we think it means or what it means to us. It means what it means. What it means, what it says to us is different than what it means to us. Meaning, how does this speak into what's going on in my life right now? How does this speak, how does this speak to what's going on in our culture right now? 
Now, I didn't announce what the book was. I did get a lot of enthusiastic responses to this. I did get one guy asked me not to do this, but to make it like a separate podcast series instead because he was afraid that we wouldn't be able to find something every week as we go through this that relates to what's going on right now. And I get that concern. Aaron, you told me yesterday, how many shows am I doing a week? 18. Yeah, that's why we're not going to do that. Because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. I think 18 is a good number to cap it at. Do you think that's okay? Well, uh, think, do you think? Think of them, uh, the fact well, if that you did two more, it'd be an even twenty. <laughs> I think 18's good. I think 18 shows a week means we're good. I don't think I need more work. Thank you. Although I do, I do share his concern. But um, our job, because we do broadcasting here, so our job will try to make this as broadly applicable as possible. We're going to conduct this as layman. We're literally just dudes sitting around having a Bible study, and we're to ask each other questions, make points, interrupt. We may disagree, what have you. Some ground rules for the audience. We're not taking any questions on this until we're done with the book, only because we don't want to get bogged down in the questions, even the good ones. So at the end of, when we finish this Bible study, we will do another podcast or two for the next week or two, depending on how many really good questions we have, trying to answer any lingering questions or maybe even criticisms, you know, like the way we addressed an issue. We can talk about that too, okay? Now, I didn't tell you guys what the book was going to be. Oh, one last thing on the on the questions. So if you send me questions or comments, I'm going to put a separate folder in my email account at steve at stevedays.com for this book. And I'm just going to, I'm not even going to read them to avoid the temptation of me answering, because I also think it's important that we get through the entire book because we may address some of your concerns or questions in an individual week by the time we get to the end. Okay. So if you send them to me now, I'm not going to immediately delete them. I'm not even going to look at them. Once I see that's what this is, I'm just going to put it in this folder right away. The first time I um, have opened up my Bible to this book in probably a few years was 10 minutes ago when I just did it to get started on our Bible study. I have not told Todd or Aaron what the book is because I don't want anybody cheating. I don't want anybody gaming the system, getting their own analysis and everything else out and ready to go. We want this to be as relaxed as possible. The other reason we're doing it this way, because we know there's a lot of you listening to us that have never done a serious Bible study. And we want to make it feel like, you know, you don't want to feel like this is the beach. Well, I got to get a tan. I got to get a tan before I go to the beach to get a tan, <laughs> right? Well, I got to. I got to make sure I know a lot about the Bible before I actually study it. No, don't worry about that. All right? We got to show you that that God's word is accessible to you right now, where you are, no matter who you are, right this minute. Now, I didn't tell you to. You guys okay with the ground rules and everything so far? Yes. Okay. I did not tell you guys what the book was. Out of curiosity, I asked you to each. Jot down what your prediction of what the book we were going to do was before I announced it. Okay? So, I just told you it's not Romans. It's not Romans. Because there'd be no point in me saying, I haven't studied this book in a few years, when I just told you our church just went through a year-long expositional study of Romans. Right? So, Aaron, what book do you think we're about to do? I changed my mind from what I first had, but I have to go with what I first had, uh, and that would be James. You think we're going to do James? Yeah. What were you, you going to change your mind to out of curiosity? Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. 
No, that would be that would be where Dave Chappelle comes in and says you played yourself. Yeah. All right, that's trolling myself if we did that. Todd, what, do you, what book do you think we're going to do? Well, my parameters were I I figured it would be a fairly short book because I mean look at how we only get through like three questions right. on Friday. So we wouldn't, we'd want to kind of tailor it that way. And then, but within a short book, a couple major themes uh, that are applicable to uh, today. So I chose First Peter. Those are all really good guesses. They're all wrong, but they're really good guesses. This book was chosen because. This phrase from this book kept popping into my head when I had this epiphany at church last week. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. I think I can still quote the first chapter from memory. So you know what book we're going to. Don't say it yet. And that phrase just was on loop in the back of my head. That most of what I do for a living is confronting hollow and deceptive philosophy. And that is why we are going to do our very first ever, and it may be the only one, depending on how this one goes over. (laughs) Depends on how we all, if we get struck by lightning, excommunicated, um, or raptured away like Elijah when this is done, depending on how it goes, maybe the only time we'll ever do this, who knows. But we are going to be doing a Bible study on the book of Colossians. That's the book we're going to do. All right? So, my favorite translation, for those who are curious, because I know some of you are like really into this, I like the NSV for the reliable word-for-word translation in modern English. Um, And that is the version that um, we're going to be using I'm sorry, the ESV is what I meant to say. That's the version we're going to be using for this tra- for this study, okay? The ESV, English Standard Version, okay? Now, if you send me emails telling me I should use something, that if I, if I don't, if you send me emails arguing about the translations, I will just delete those. <laughs> I will just delete those, okay. All right, let's begin. Chapter one of Colossians. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read. You guys stop me if you see something you want me to you want to address or you want me to address or you want to address yourselves. Um, or I will stop when there's something that I want to address. How's that? All right. Sure. We're just having we are literally just dudes sitting around like in a coffee shop or in a in a basement at a small group having a Bible study. Nothing formal here. All right. We begin. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Let me stop right there. We talk a lot in our culture today, we have to define our terms. Let's define the term apostle. How would we define that term? One who is sent. One who is sent. Sent by whom? In this case. Jesus Christ. Yeah, one who is sent by God. Okay? So Paul is saying, I have been sent on behalf of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm like, would, would, it, would another modern way of putting this, are you guys okay with using the term? Because I'm, I'm, 
care. I don't know if we want to use it because Paul uses it as a term for layman in the New Testament as well. But for those that are doing a Bible study for the first time, are we okay just for a generic description? Paul is basically saying, I'm an ambassador. I speak on behalf of and the one that sent me. Are we okay with that, do you think, using that as a def, as sort of a cultural... Because um, we don't have a lot of people, except, frankly, a lot of times... Uh, people who shake folks down for money in our, you know, and and calls themselves apostles nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it's not a term we hear a lot. So for the, so for the most generic, simple explanation in a modern variance, we can come up with, are we okay with this? He's basically saying, I am here as the ambassador on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ who sent me. Is that okay for the, for the average person who's never done a Bible study to understand? Or do you think it, it needs more than that? It's Todd? not. It's not wrong, but it it there's more power behind it, right? Because and that's why I was. That's why I question whether we should use that term, because Paul uses us as laymen. He uses that term on us, and and an ambassador doesn't really have authority. He's just a messenger relaying a message. Because you're right, an apostle has that level of power. He can. It's been bestowed upon him. He is because what we're what we're going to go through here is Paul is creating church doctrine, mm-hmm. right? You and I, as when he talks about us being ambassadors of Christ as laymen, we can't create church doctrine. Well, we can, and then we would realize why God made hell. Okay, Paul has specifically by God's will, by the cr- charge that Christ has put on him, he has the authority to create doctrine. Yes. That's, so that so that's a good that's a good that's a good clarification. You okay with that, Aaron? Yeah, I yeah I tend to agree with Todd that um, in this particular like ambassador is is fine and it's not like Todd said it's not wrong, but there does need to be a little bit of authority uh, behind what what Paul is is about to say here. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he is giving you his credentials, and that's why. And that's why. Yeah. And his authority, where it comes from. So he is he is setting sort of the scene right away about who who he is that that and why he has the authority to say what he's about to say. And Timothy, our brother, for people who know Timothy, there are books in the Bible named after Timothy. Uh, Timothy's mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. Uh, he was essentially Paul's uh, spiritual son, and uh, you know one of Paul's last memoirs is a goodbye letter to Timothy. And he was actually placed in charge of congregations by Paul's uh, authority. Okay? To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So right here, again, this is addressed to a specific group of people in a specific local community that were a specific local church. So right away you see in God's authority structure... The local church and the individual relationship, there is a high priority on these things. A high priority is placed on the, indivi- on the, on the, on the local church's relationship to individual believers. And, the, and, and the, the relationship that Christ has with individual believers and the local church themselves. Are we okay with that? Yes. This is where, you, if you want to know where our notions, when we talk about... Judeo-Christian notions of the of the inherent worth of the individual, and and where this idea that God grants doesn't grant rights to classes of people, or civil rights, 
but he grants rights to you as an individual. If you want to know where we get these notions from in Americanism, it comes from points I just made right here. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That's something most... I, I, I don't know about you guys. This is one of my biggest struggles. I have to make prayer for more than what I just think I want or need or my own weaknesses. But... um for others, for our leaders, um, I I have to make this like a a discipline, and I and I fall in and out of it frequently. It is hard for me with the way my mind works as fast as my day goes by to be a person of persistent prayer. You just described almost everybody. Everybody, though. yeah, yeah. But again, I think that's. I, I want to make this as accessible to our audience that's never done anything like this as possible. Because there's going to be a lot of terms in here um, that, and we've already had a few, or phrases that are kind of stained glass window phrases and terms. Every movement has sort of its nomenclature, its, its verbiage, right? Um, and this statement is... Shows how the importance that God places on prayer. Because the first thing Paul says we do for you as a congregation here is what? Pray. Pray. It's the first thing he lists in this letter. And if you wonder where you've heard the term epistle, if you know what that means, it means letter. Right? So this, this is one of Paul's epistles, one of his letters in the New Testament. That's what this means. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. When Paul is talking about all the saints, so there's a macro term, like the, the I don't want to say the office of, what would, the um, designation of a, spe- of a specific sainthood, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's that and then there is the idea that those of us that are that have been called to salvation and have been saved and are working out our salvation with fear and trembling that are in the that are in the process of God sanctifying us from this life to prepare us for the life in the world to come the worldwide body of believers are small s saints is that a good definition of the the context that Paul means by that statement oh Absolutely. And embodied within that notion is the Christian uh, notion within the creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic. We already talked about the term apostle, but uh, what um, the, the fact that you, you mentioned local and the individual, but that's one of the great paradoxes of the church. Now already we have you are thinking way beyond your own little mm-hmm. needs here. You are thinking about You're the part world, of a literal global church, community. and right. you are submitting, and here's. We you are submitting by even entertaining this letter to some level of hierarchy, formal or informal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that that I that the defining that word and talking about that word um, is it, it is packed with meaning. 
I would add to um, if you want to know this is one of the I would say one of the uh, fruits of some uh, of a tr- of, of a believer uh, of a true of a true faith a true belief in Jesus Christ is the love of the saints and I tell some of my buddies I've said this over and over again when they're dating somebody who they're they say they're they're a believer or they're saved but they're not really sure and they're kind of, I always tell them uh, one of the things you can look for tangibly is do they love other people in their church? Like, do they really love those people? And, you know, of course, doctrine in the church has to be right, but do they really love other Christians? Mm-hmm. Do they enjoy that? And you look at the phrasing of that, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, the love for the saints comes after your salvation. So I think that's indicative of, mm-hmm. of fruit, and spiritual you- fruit. And you know what's remarkable about this term? Uh, it's by definition, it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a catch-all. It's not all the people on the face of the earth. It is talking about a brethren. Mm-hmm. It is implied in there is that you have shaken the dust from your feet of some others. This is a there. There is a there is there is an us here, which is not to mean you're disowning everything. But it, it's really important to focus on the fact that this is people who have entered into something, who have chosen to belong to something. And if you read other epistles by Paul, um, when he says the love that you have for all the saints, this is not a sentimental expression. Uh, you, The church at Colossae would have demonstrated this with action. You know, several times in Paul's ministry, he had to take up collections for believers that were being persecuted in different parts of the empire. Right, so chances are the people of the congregation in Colossae showed their love for brethren they've never met by uh, giving alms to them, by uh, tithing uh, some of the fruits of their labors to them, uh, by praying for them in earnest, but fervently while they were in the midst of persecution or tumult or 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 struggle. So there would have been actions and demonstrations associated with this not just a sentimental expression or a theological assertion. You would have had to show evidence for Paul to to note of your love for the saints. You would have had to demonstrate that love in some tangible, practical way. Yeah, and the reason why you know what that is and what that looks like is because of the next phrase, which you haven't read yet, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's how you know that love love is love no love is not love you, right. you're just making that up we know what love is because we know of the hope laid up for us in heaven and you know when you, you have to remember paul's a lawyer so a lot of his evidence um or a lot of his his assertions are phrased with a causation or by the preponderance of the evidence in many of his epistles. So you look at this sentence here. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Now, why do they love the saints? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Meaning they have placed, the church in Colossae has placed its faith in Christ, in the kingdom to come, in the kingdom not of this world. And by faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, that it is that that's why they love and they gave, because they can't take these material possessions with them anyway. 
They they gave up their time to fervently pray for other for their other brethren because Paul charged them in his letter to the Romans to redeem the time that they have. Because ultimately, this is temporary, this world, this existence we have. And with the the world to come, the existence to come is eternal. And they demonstrated their their faith and perspective in that unseen eternal world to come by living as if the things of this world were not of primary importance, like their own possessions, their own time, their own selfishness, their own needs, their own wants, their own desires. But they lived as if sharing someone else's burdens, suffering on someone else's behalf. Things that a utilitarian pagan mind would say, when, why would you take away from eat, drink, and be merry in your own self-interest to do such things? They demonstrated that they have rejected the paganism that they came from. And they are living as Christ's people on earth, counter-culturally. You guys okay with that? Yes. Yep. If you want to know as a believer, you know what? Let me rephrase that. I'm going to speak for myself. I guarantee you, every time I sin as a believer, it is because at that moment I have willfully chosen to ignore or reject that my kingdom and citizenship is not of this world every time. I promise you every single time. I'd be willing to bet that's probably true for every believer listening right now. But I, 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 I'm not an apostle, so I can't make that. I don't have the authority to make that doctrinal claim. So I will just speak from my own experience. When I sin as a believer, it is because I have either willfully ignored or chosen to reject my citizenship in the kingdom of God in order to live, as Augustine would say, in the city of man. That's what I've done. Right? Yes. That's it. And we actually talked about this very notion a couple of days ago when I, when I said one of the most important things I'm ever going to do for my children is to send them out into the world, making sure they know that in all things at all times, remember that they are a sinner. That's, you know, I often uh, give uh, uh, deference to the Catholic view when I quote from it frequently. In that case, that's the preamble of Martin Luther's 95 Theses, really, is basically all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. Mm -hmm. That's basically what you're paraphrasing right there. Yeah. Um, Aaron, you good? You want us to continue? I think I'm good. We can can keep going on. We've got a few more minutes left. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So let's define our terms again. Gospel is just a term that means good news. Right? So a lot of you that never done a Bible study before you hear these terms, apostle, epistle, gospel, what does it mean? It just simply means good news, all right? That you, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the good news, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Here in these passages, what you see, I think, is we often, where we mess up in the church, well, one of the places where we mess up in the church is we act as if relationship and truth are in conflict. 
meaning I, I can't speak the truth here for the sake of this relationship. Or I should just go around burying people as harshly as I can in the truth and screw relationships. Here you see the truth came to these people by way of relationship. That is, that's a false choice. That is an absolute false choice. They received the truth by way of relationship. First of all, the relationship for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So when Paul says, um, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, the gospel, Aaron mentioned he thought we might do, uh, was oh, you know, it was John, not John, you said James. James. Okay. James. Yep. Well, the gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. The word of God came to live with us in the form of Jesus Christ. That's to have relationship with us. He then maintains that relationship where once you recognize who he is and you vow to follow him, he maintains that relationship into eternity by putting his spirit inside of you. So you have the ability to live and commune with the most powerful being in the universe on a daily basis as a Christian believer. That's relationship number two. So then there's the relationship between creator and creation. There's the relationship between creator and creature, because as you're going to learn later in Colossians, Jesus is the creator. So there's the macro creator-creation relationship, right? God so loved the world that he came down here, related with us, lived with us. Then there's the individual creator-creature relationship. You are a creature of God. He gives you his spirit so you can live individually with him. You don't have to wear a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? He's living inside of you. Just uh, pray and ask. Read his word. Then there's the third level of a relationship here, the relationship we have with one another. And you know where you see this model, by the way, is in the Ten Commandments. First five of the Ten Commandments, our relationship with God. Second five, our relationships with one another. So just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, meaning they weren't standing out in an open field one day and descended from on high were these, were these platitudes and thoughts that changed their lives. A normal guy by the name of Epaphras, living counterculturally, like what Paul described the church at Colossae was living by in the first few sentences here of, of, of chapter one, following, setting that example for them, so he, you know, in one of his letters, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Epaphras follows Christ, lives counterculturally, models this to this community, is used as a tool and instrument by God to be key in their conversion and in their, in their maturity in the faith. And then they follow after what Epaphras modeled for them. It's not a question of truth or relationship. We receive truth as a species by way of relationship because we're not algorithms we're not formulas we're people anybody want to comment on that oh i agree wholeheartedly and to that end and i i'm going to make one disclaimer now no i in no way will i i have no desire to turn this into a a, a catholic version of scripture verses mm -hmm. but you're going to just end up hearing i am catholic so 
I'm going to see things in scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here, when it talks about the gospel, and Steve, it's, it is the good news. It is not, it is that fundamentally in writing or not in writing. This is, we're doing a Bible study. This is a letter, as Steve said, written to a particular people in a particular church, addressing some global things, addressing some particular things, as were most of all the other letters, and then they are collected together. But the gospel at this time, uh, this letter was, I... (laughs) written between 50 and 90 mm-hmm. AD. I, I don't re- remember off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, you know, the canon was put together much later. So the gospel, I'm just echoing what Steve said. All of that is a prelude echoing what Steve said. The gospel was preached through relationships, sometimes in writing, yep. sometimes in not. That's where uh, ca- the notion of Catholic tradition comes from, and that's not a notion that Steve or Aaron, I know, dismiss out of hand either. Oh, absolutely no, you don't want to chief. How did, Aaron, go how ahead, did Jesus? How did Jesus? Uh, how, how did Jesus? Um, essentially, he, he lived out the gospel with. How many people? Um, and, you know, twelve disciples, and I think there were three or four who were even closer than than the others. So you're absolutely right. From even before uh, the cross, through Jesus's life, he's teaching through that relationship, through that day to day relationship with his disciples. You've heard me say a, a reference to this several times over the years. Both of you have. In my opinion, the greatest mistake the Protestant Church has made is the vanquishing of tradition. I think it's the greatest mistake intellectually, spiritually, we have made. And I'm a sola scriptura guy. But uh, there's a difference between sola and solo. And, you know, I have no idea why we have chosen to just say we're we're largely going to ignore 2,000 years of lessons we can learn by how those God gave these apostolic charges to lived this out in a real world when most of the New Testament outside of the Gospels are versions of this. That's what you're alluding to. Yes. Okay? This isn't a synoptic Gospel. This is a form of tradition becoming canon. Paul is clarifying in, in, is clarifying how we are to live this now, the things Jesus taught in those Gospels, in that good news, he lived out, demonstrated, bestowed on us, how we're to now navigate these things and these convoluted waters of a fallen culture and a fallen world when we don't, when we aren't supernatural beings. We're just human. That's, where, that's what all these epistles are. They're a form of tradition that became canon. So I don't understand why we would, as Protestants, just vanquish tradition altogether. And I'm, you know... <laughs> go ask somebody who's a great baseball fan if they know who Babe Ruth was if they know who Ty Cobb was if they know who Hank Aaron was these are guys who played 50 to 100 years ago most great baseball fans would know those names right? right go ask a lot of evangelical Christians if they know who Aquinas was if they know who Augustine was who Arrhenius was if they even have even heard these names they're going to give you a blank stare that's a problem and it begs the question why on earth is your preaching, which you believe in and hope to pass on to posterity, I hope, why should yours if nobody else's gets to? I mean, the minute you are dead and gone, are, aren't you irrelevant too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your grandmother never gave you that. You, you're, didn't give your mom and your mom gave you that, that family tried and true chocolate chip cookie recipe. Sure. Your dad, your, your grandpa didn't teach your dad how to play, sure. how to catch and ride a bike and you didn't teach your son. That's really what we're talking about here, really. Yeah. 
That's what we mean by traditions. Why we would why we would just vanquish this? So we we've lost a lot of this framework of what does this mean to live this out? Because here's a breaking news flash: the world doesn't want us to be able to be good at this, and they will put us in boxes to test us to hope we can't change it. It doesn't want to change. So we would be very wise to learn from our forefathers' successes and failures. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in, I think it's in Hebrews 12. Such a large cloud of witnesses, it refers to. What does it mean? The people in the faith that have come before us are are now passing the baton onto us and they are watching how we're going to follow in their footsteps. Right. That's a form of tradition, really. Let's finish this portion and we'll call it a day for week one. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And every time I read about incessant prayer, I, I get I feel real guilty. I, I start looking down at the ground. Like <laughs> Yeah, I need to I'm not good at that. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, we've, we've seen this expression, bearing fruit. This is the second time. We're not even through chapter one of this, okay? We're, we're, we're in the first dozen verses. And Paul's referenced the bearing of fruit twice. Why? Because Jesus' axiom of knowing whom his followers were. whom How would they know whom God has called to salvation and, and is actively saving now? How would we know? And he told them what? By your fruits, you By will know them. By your fruit, you will know them. That's okay, so... This is a works doctrine, people. You got to pay attention to it. Uh, okay, now we might argue. Well, no, I mean, it's, I, it's, I'm it's, a, it's about that... Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't mean to I be cavalier. It's about I know what a... You meant. It, but it's, it, it's highlighted twice to, to yes. talk about the, the, it, the faith without works is dead. It is telling you this twice. The argument will become, do my works produce faith or do my faith produce works? And... Our camps have had this argument for 500 years, and we're going to just let people better than us at this uh, figure that out. But I agree with you, because that is what it is. The, the question, the debate really is, what's the source? Uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the faith or the works or the works of the faith? But there's no question, because we already said earlier, did we not, that they demonstrated their love for the brethren by things they'd done. Think how they demonstrated this. And... Fruit doesn't, and, and, and the bearing, bearing, what kind of word? Is it a noun? Is it an adjective? What kind of word is bearing? It's a verb. It's an action. So an action has taken place or a work has taken place in their lives to demonstrate that they are people of faith, right? Yes, and I was, I, I don't want to be cavalier and how I bring anything up, but it it is, we, we are parsing line by line in a biblical exegesis here. But don't you think that the argument you just laid out in which comes first is has ultimately turned into a version of how many angels can dance on a head of a pin? And the point of talking about this and writing about it, the people at the time, it, it, it wasn't an intel. It's an enfleshed exercise. It's it's far less an intellectual exercise. It is in, it is incarnate. People sure. knew what it was. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of stuff on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation last year, right? Yeah. So, you know, just as this letter starts out as a specific letter to a specific people at a specific time, while the Reformation was dealing with transcendent cosmic debates, it was instigated and ignited by the events going on at that time. 
Meaning these debates existed within the church before, uh, you know, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to a Wittenberg door. The reason they exploded at that time is because of events that were going on. And when you have Rome sending emissaries out, telling widows and people that are dying of starvation with single moms whose, whose husbands are dying in crusades and everything else, if you give to the remaking of St. Peter's Basilica, your loved ones will get out of hell. If you do this work, you will please God. And, and Luther's watching this despicable practice of essentially a, 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 pre, a, a, a preternatural version of your, your, your shakedown artist we see right, on Christian right. television today, right? And then he goes to Rome and he opens up Romans 117 and it says, and the righteous shall live by faith. And he sees this undue burden the church is putting on these poor people who are at the end of their rope already stretched to their nines. Mm-hmm. And it's telling them, and now, and, and he's watching how opulently they're living and priests are over here with prostitutes in the alleys and everything mm-hmm. else he's saying. Similar to the stories we're watching on TV right now, right? With Cardinal McCarrick and everything else. Yes. And he's watching this take place. And he's, wa- and, and he's watching that what the church is doing to people. And he's like, uh, we're supposed to be here to relieve people's burdens, not impose them. And so that's a time period where the notion of faith and works had been so bastardized had been so turned on its ear that the argument was much more cut and dry than it might be if we removed that circumstance as the backdrop and we get back to the point of do works cause faith or do faith cause works? Meaning, if I have faith, when I want to do good work? And uh, and so that that's kind of the point I hear you sort of making yeah, here in a way. And, and it was so obvious... Uh, what that looked like back during the time uh, these epistles were written that, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't uh, uh, J- uh, Josephus not a Christian comment and said, look how they love each other yes, about the early the, Christians? The Jewish because he knew yeah. that's, it's it's abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. Their faith, their works, that's a Christian. There, mm-hmm. there was no crazy uh, Rube Goldberg machine of trying to figure out what that yeah, we was. Didn't, we didn't have the cultural influence to corrupt the, uh, the uh, to corrupt a culture with at that point in time. Right. We were on the defensive. And so, we kind of were backed into the corner of being uh, a more honest and uh, pure version of what uh, Christ called us to. We didn't have the the temptations that come with cultural hegemony, right? Right. Let's finish this portion here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see some of the fruit of the Spirit in that section that Paul will mention in Galatians in one of his other letters, meaning these are things Christians are known for generally when they are saved, when God has transformed them, made them a new creation. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, you are to, you are to and are living there in Colossae, but Christians in general are to live as if they have been delivered from darkness and are now children of light. They are you are citizens of another kingdom. What did I just say a few minutes ago? As a believer, I can promise you, every time I sin, it's because I either willfully ignore or openly reject that my kingdom, I'm a, my citizenship is not of this world. I'm not living at that time 
like I've been transferred to a kingdom. I'm I'm trying to keep my foot in the in the in the world here that that's passing away. Final thoughts. Uh, my final thought is you talked about how uncomfortable you got when it brings up uh, praying for others. I get uncomfortable when you talk about. Uh, uncomfortable, we mean convicted because we know that means we're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but the living as if. Uh, you are already a, uh, a, ch- a child of heaven and one of the main descriptions of what that looks like, endurance and patience with joy, that that hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm terrible at that. I do not. Uh, I just brought up an example a couple of days ago of what I did with somebody who walked through my yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do not. Um, you did not no. give them the joy of the next world. You gave them the what for of this world. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. Aaron, your thoughts? Um, yeah, the, the endurance and patience with joy, and I mean, joy, did, let, we can define that word. I think a good definition is joy, true joy, um, that comes from, um, that comes from the Holy Spirit is uh, happiness when things are good and uh, peace when things aren't. Is that a okay definition mm-hmm. of joy, mm-hmm. you think? Yeah. Um, so it doesn't mean that joy, joy doesn't mean we're always happy, um, but joy, we should always have joy though, no matter, no matter the circumstances. I think that's another evidence of, of fruit as you, as you alluded to that even when things are bad, we don't become that ourselves. ourselves. Right. Do we lose our contentment? Correct. Yeah. Because by losing our contentment in a way, we're kind of saying we are, that we don't trust God right. to provide. And what's one of the Ten Commandments? You know, yep. don't covet. And so that's that that's this is kind of a variation of that. We kind of covet what other people have. We see the way they're getting blessed. We're wondering where's our cut? Why are you know, why am I worrying about this? Why am I living in this circumstance? And a lack of contentment is the demonstration of a lack of faith. And faith is faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. That, that's sort of the that's the that's that's its monetary system is faith it runs on that and it's impossible to please god without faith scriptures say faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen and this is the great struggle you have in as a as a as a human being in any culture, this is the struggle to see through eyes of faith than eyes of sight but particularly in the opulent decadent culture we have today where we have temptations and distractions um, pulling at us no other generation of believers has ever had before because they didn't get to live in a culture this enlightened and this opulent and this affluent I don't know about you guys that is the number one struggle I have is contentment I have to I have to pray for God uh, to 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 break me in this area quite a bit. Yeah, well, that's why I talk about uh, the gated community effect mm-hmm. of our current philosophies. We we just we we don't feel existential angst about things because of exactly what you're talking about. So that's our first foray into our Bible study on the book of Colossians. Next week, um, we're going to do the next part, and we're going to introduce you to a term, and that term is Christology. What does that mean? Paul's going to teach it in depth 
on Theology Thursday next week as we continue our Bible study on Colossians. Thanks for tuning in here today on Westwood One. If you could leave a comment uh, or a subscription on iTunes, Stitcher, those things help. Thank you to those who already have. John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 